this is Julie Williams and today I will be talking about the book Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain by Zaretta Hammond. The STEAM High staff has been working on reading this book and using the information in this book to make us better teachers since the beginning of school in August and today is the final installment of that learning. I'm giving it to you in the form of a podcast because I have used podcasts in my own classroom to help students have information from another source that's also me that they can refer to anytime they need. And because the app I'm using on my phone, Anchor, publishes your podcast on multiple platforms, including Spotify, which a lot of our students use already. So this is a great tool for teachers to have. I'm going to start the podcast by telling you a couple of things. First, the structure of the podcast. I'm doing a quick overview of part one and part two, which were presented already by other departments. But just as a refresher, going into the last part of the book. I also have what I'm referring to as my show notes for you podcast fans, which is a Google Doc that has a list of the quotes I'm using as an outline for the podcast today. So you will have all of that at your disposal. And if you have questions, I am happy to talk about my podcasting. But now we're going to get started. So the main thesis of Zaretta Hammond's book, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain, is that building brain power is the missing link to closing the achievement gap for underperforming culturally and linguistically diverse students. And for many years in education, there was the idea that instead of working on building brain power, that we should be focusing on creating short-term solutions to get students to do better on standardized tests, specifically students of color. One of the things that you'll notice about Zaretta Hammond's book is that instead of referring to students of color as students of color, she refers to them instead as culturally and linguistically diverse students. So I will also be using that phrase. What we need to do instead as educators is focus on building that intellect, that brain capacity, so they can fill in their own learning gaps. We want them to be independent learners, but we also have to help them become independent learners. So Hammond talks a lot about getting them through the steps so that they can do this work on their own. She also gives a great outline known as the Ready for Rigor Framework, to help operationalize culturally responsive teaching. So what are the steps that we need to go through as teachers? Awareness, learning partnerships, information processing, and community of learners and learning environment. All of those things are part of what the work that we do. And you're never done with any of the parts of this work. Um, Even if you've been building awareness and building those learning partnerships, that work can always continue. You might have to go back and add to it. It is really important to understand how building social relationships affects students. We need them to be 
comfortable and feel safe so that learning is possible. One of the things that I often explain to students is that from a social studies teacher standpoint, class, my classroom is a lot like social contract theory, the idea that I'm the government and they're my people. And we agree on some rules and regulations. They agree to follow those rules and in, in exchange, I, I agree to be a trustworthy person who helps them uphold those rules. So that agreement has to be there. It also helps to think of a culturally responsive teacher as someone who is a thermostat in the room. So you're setting the temperature instead of being a thermometer where you're constantly reading and reacting to what's happening in the room. So the overview of part one is done, building awareness and knowledge. That work is never actually finished, but we're gonna move on and talk about building learning partnerships, which was part two. One of the most impactful statements from that section for at least me personally was this quote that said, keep in mind the brain experiences social pain, not connecting with others or being rejected by them, in the same way it experiences physical pain. The same areas of the brain light up whether we stub our toe or get rejected. Um, And I just feel that as a teacher, it's really important to remember that that social pain, whether that social pain is being experienced by a student because of other students or because of something that I have said or done um, that maybe I was even unaware of, that is hurtful to students and that's going to make it a lot harder to build that safe space. Teachers need to work on being the warm demander is how Hammond refers to it. The idea that you're holding high standards, offering emotional support, and also scaffolding to help dependent learners. So a warm demander is not someone who is overly one way or the other, but simply someone who says, okay, here's what we're doing, here's where we're going, here's how I'm going to help you get there. Uh, I usually have that conversation at the beginning of the school year with my advanced placement students because a lot of them get very nervous about the idea of a really big test at the end of the year. And what I tell them is, is like, listen, this is not going to be easy, but I'm here to help you. That's my job. And I know you can do it because I'm going to help you get there. And that is where I start them off at. But ultimately, my goal should be to be able to hand over the learning to students. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, There's a feedback protocol that Hammond gives in the text that offers students uh, a couple of choices to help figure out what their own issues are as far as like retaining information or being a better learner. She also puts forth several things known as sort of like a positive feedback for students, uh, components of an academic mindset, mindset like I can succeed at this, I belong to this academic community, this work has value for me, my ability and competence grow with my effort. Um, all of these things are really critical. And using this is really important because the brain actually has something called negativity bias, which means that 
these positive statements are great, but ultimately students remember the negative experiences more often because that's how our brains as humans are wired. Us as teachers, we experience that all the time. You know, when somebody comes into our classroom and gives us feedback, we're supposed to focus on that feedback and how to grow as a teacher. But again, our brain tends to hijack us and make us think, oh gosh, I did this one thing wrong. So even though I did these other nine things right, the one thing wrong is the thing we tend to focus on because that's what makes us human. So at the end of part two, this is a jumping off point into the new section that I'm going to be talking about today. And a lot of that is talking simply about how culturally responsive teachers are meant to help dependent learners learn how to learn. So teaching them how to be good students, which is a knowable skill. And students need to understand that. They're not, they, they are not given a limited capacity for learning. They have an infinite capacity for learning because that's how the brain is wired. And using their brain to process that information, in the book it refers to the brain as a power plant processing raw material, is really critical. And one of the big pieces of that work, and something that I noticed, is that when you're trying to move students through the three stages of processing information, which is input, elaboration, and application, one of the hardest parts for our students right now is getting students to decide what information they should pay attention to because they're constantly bombarded with information. They can't really get away from it because their phones are a constant source of information. So it's not as if they can't find information. It's just simply that there's never really been any work around teaching them how to pick the information that they want after analyzing multiple sources and teaching them what to pay attention to instead of trying to pay attention to everything. The book also talks about instructional strategies around getting the brain's attention by igniting that learning, making the information digestible by chunking it, um, helping them actively process new information or chewing it, and then having a chance to apply that learning by reviewing it. And we can actually teach students how to do this on their own by giving them a routine to follow, giving them a ritual to follow, because that's really going to be helpful in them developing their own capabilities. Uh, on page 132, it talks about how is new material connected to what I already know? How does it fit together? What larger system is it a part of? Uh, so for example, right now, I am having my AP US history students read an article about the legacy of reconstruction after the Civil War. And it's going to connect the post-Civil War period with the present for them in a way that they might not have done on their own or without me teaching it directly to them. Instead, they're going to be reading about it and I'm teaching them again how to process that information to help grow their knowledge base. In addition to using certain techniques that are listed in chapter eight, chapter nine talks about seeing the environment as the second teacher 
And one of the core questions it asks is, what do we want the environment to teach people who are in it? So looking at our environment and making sure it's authentic and organized and reinforcing of things they need to know is really important in order to help them do that learning. Developing a rapport with students so that you're talking to them before the lesson, um, having instructional conversations with them, answering their questions about things that they might be curious about. These are really important because a lot of students talk and dialogue in order to learn. And it is really critical to have those conversations with them. It's important to look at the Ready for Rigor framework of awareness, info processing, learning partnerships and communities of learners in the learning environment and start picking something from each of those sections to work into your daily practice. And that is really going to help you do the work of being a culturally responsive teacher. One quote that I'm going to leave you with is on page 153. It says, remember that even as educators, we are subjected to the same amygdala hijack as our students. We feel anxious, fearful, confused, and overwhelmed as we step outside our comfort zone. Embrace this stage and use it as a time for inquiry and reflection because this too shall pass. Thank you so much, STEAM team, for your time. I appreciate you and have a great day.